Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of William Moore, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 7, Episode 7. And this week was the last week that we're covering the preliminary investigation, where we're just taking a look at the facts from the crime scene, some early leads, what the police followed, what they didn't follow, to really lay some groundwork for the new investigation, which Phase 2 of this is now to investigate the man that was actually convicted, Jamie Snow who you heard from uh, just briefly at the end of that episode. So moving forward, you're going to hear a lot more from Jamie. We're going to hear how he got convicted. We're going to analyze that investigation and trial and conviction to see if he was wrongfully convicted or not. So that's what we're going to be doing moving forward. But as I said, this week we had, I think, you know, the the episode got broke up by uh, more ads than we planned. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Wondery auto inserts ads on our show. And we usually anticipate maybe two in an episode. And this episode, they filled all four slots in it, and so kind of broke it up. Uh, a couple of people on the Facebook page had mentioned that you know it felt like it was all ads and there was nothing important. I hope that you were able to to sort through that and listen to uh, the information was out there because it was pretty interesting stuff. I mean, it, we had three, I think, very legitimate leads early on by the Bloomington Police Department that uh, ultimately were were not followed up on or they just decided these people were cleared based on a physical description. So we're going to get into that. And Mike, you've got a bunch of questions. And I know, Zach, you came locked and loaded with a few questions of your own. I sure do. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started then. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Bob, before we get into the questions, I think you wanted to cover a couple housekeeping items. Yeah, well, one of them was what I covered in the intro, which was the fact that there was more ads than normal in the last episode. We're aware of that, and we're kind of reformatting things to plan for that if Wonder is going to be filling more, because we want them to fill those spots. I mean, that's how we pay our salaries. Right, exactly. But we also want to make sure that the content is enough and it's a fair shake for... Yeah, so everybody gets the bang for their buck. But speaking of ads, that's the other thing I wanted to address. 
This is not a normal thing for me to talk about uh, on the podcast is our, our advertising, but we have a new advertiser, and you may have, because we don't know what they drop when, you may have just heard it. Uh, we have a new advertiser, Blue Esigs, and that's not something, again, we normally don't even talk about any of this stuff, but we had enough people reach out and either complain or we even had one person tell us they're not going to listen to the show anymore because we advertised that. So I guess this message isn't for them because they're not listening. Right. Uh, but uh, I, I just want to I want to point out because there's a lot of people on the, the Facebook page talking about why or why not we would choose an advertiser. We don't have a choice. We do have a choice to an extent. For the most part, when advertisers come to us, we can choose to, yes, we will endorse them or no, we will not. And there are some that come through that we say no. The blue e-cigs, I, I just want you guys to know to be clear, and, and you can be upset about it or not, that that is a product that I said I absolutely want to endorse. And I'm sure a lot of people are upset by that, but I want to tell you why. Yes, I am aware that there are health concerns with vaping or electronic cigarettes. However, electronic cigarettes have saved, I, I, I truly believe, saved my life going forward. I was a smoker. Mike was a smoker. Yep. My wife was a smoker. And several of our friends were smokers. And we all have struggled through years and years and years to try to quit smoking. When electronic cigarettes were invented, when, when vaping became a thing, that was the turning point for literally all of us. I, I, can, I can think of a dozen people off the top of my head that said, I'm going to quit. And I'm going to use this as kind of a crutch to get through it. You can start with it. You know, the, we, I shouldn't say you can, for, I want to share, you, share with you my experience. Once we made the decision to quit, it provided still the, the nicotine that we could wean ourselves off of and the, uh, the sensation from inhaling smoke and things like that, uh, which is, it's, it's, if you've never smoked, that's a hard thing to quit. It's very hard. But with the e-cigs, then you can, you, we were able to drop down the nicotine. And then to get to a point where we didn't have to do it anymore. It was an effective tool. I do know that there are health concerns with it. And I'm not saying there's not. I know there's a lot of controversy about it. I know that you know Big Tobacco has funded a lot of the, um, the research saying that it's, it's worse for you than cigarettes. I also want to point out that this show is targeted toward, because we had a couple of people that were, uh, I think one was a middle school teacher, a couple of people that are like, you know, I've, I've got a problem. And that is a problem. Understand though, this show is targeted. Our audience, not just targeted, our audience is adults. This is an adult show, so it's not for. They're not middle. There may be somewhere, but there there really shouldn't be middle schoolers listening to this podcast, right? Because I think a point that I don't think you quite got across there was that there's quite an outrage and there's an epidemic right now among uh, younger people using e-cigarettes. Yeah, and we've dealt with it. We have we have kids, middle school and high school age. That have like gotten into it and wanted to start vaping because it's a cool thing to do. And we're them, no, that's it's 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 terrible. I don't want my kids to do that. I don't want them starting a bad habit like that. For me, when I was struggling to quit smoking, it was a good aid that did effectively help me to quit smoking, like Mike and yeah. and Becky. Um, so that's why, and and I'm going to drop this because I'm sure some of you don't care at all, but. For those of you that do, I just wanted to explain that, that I chose to endorse it because it's something that I believe in. It helped me. I think it can help people, though I am aware that there are studies and and other risk factors involved. And I'm I'm sorry if that offends anyone, but I I did choose to endorse them because I do think that for someone who is a smoker, that it can be, or it was for me, a way to help me quit smoking. And, And now realizing that I just 
gave Blue Esigs a free three minutes of of, of advertising. No, but, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but the, but that's that's the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I know people are upset and and I just wanted to let you know that that was that decision was made on purpose and for a reason. And with that, we will stop talking about things you don't want to hear about and get into the stuff you do. All right, I'll take it from here, Bob. All right, our first question comes from Ellen. Does anyone think it's possible that the shooting of Bill and the removing of the till were two separate events by two different people? Hmm. That would be an interesting set of circumstances if it was. I, I, I guess I can't say 100% we can rule that out. I just can't see that. The, the thing I keep going back to, and but then again, it's the same thing that the Bloomington PD kept going back to was the physical descriptions of uh, Jerry Gutierrez and Danny Martinez and the Luna brothers all matching to an extent. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. the facial features and the composites, as I mentioned, were very different. Uh, but Martinez was at a distance. It was dark out. But they all describe this tall, thin guy wearing jeans and a black leather jacket with a flap on it and a dark colored hat. Yeah, they, they all describe basically the same person. Uh, so that, that's what means, leads me to believe that we can kind of bookend. It's the same guy in there from 805 until 821 when he leaves. But then again, there were people that seemed like very good suspects that were cleared simply because they didn't match the physical description. So maybe there is something else going on there. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? What do, what do you think could be a scenario where that happened? Like, like somebody shot Bill and left and somebody else walked in and was like, oh, he's dead. So I'm going to grab the money. Yeah. I don't, I, I can't actually put a scenario together how there could be two i could see the the idea of there being two you know what i mean mm-hmm. being that there's that much time elapsed and the, and the the descriptions are slightly off and, and i had a question with the gas station is there a curb outside do we know if there's a curb outside outside directly outside the door of the gas station there is i mean i'm trying to think of all the pictures but i know that the photo that we actually have is our cover art shows you can see there's maybe a four to six inch curb out front that wraps around the front of the station that, yeah. that I, appears to be like a sidewalk that goes all the way around the front. So I was thinking that, that you know, possibly Gutierrez goes in, sees a tall suspect, and then mm-hmm. that gentleman leaves. And when Martinez sees somebody, he says it's tall. But what if the person's on that curb? Then that's Making adding look taller. That's adding four to six inches on somebody that if a subject is five foot six, now they're closer to six foot. Right. Right. It's possible. I mean, it could explain that five-minute gap between when the the register was open and when Gutierrez heard the gun. Ch- but, but I guess it would have to be the other way around, knowing that we know when the register was open. Mm-hmm. We know when Gutierrez or uh, Martinez heard the gunshots. So the register's open last time at 8.16 or 8.15, and it's 8.21 when Martinez hears the gunshots, sees the guy leaving. So that would have to mean that someone robbed the store and left and then someone came in and then someone else came in after that and shot bill but then you have the luna boys who say the guy who left was carrying the saw them carrying the till which that's questionable because of the distance and the it was nighttime and with the the theory that you just gave who's gonna walk in and shoot somebody if there's no money to be taken or did you say that wrong no because you said you said but you're you're right the money's gone and somebody comes in and says Oh, you know, maybe Bill goes, oh, my God, I just got robbed. And then the person shoots Bill for like, no reason. It doesn't make right. any sense. Yeah, there's not a good theory there. And, and my whole sidewalk thought was just more trying to put it together than an actual theory. Right. And another thing I wanted to bring up who there was somebody that mentioned two people in the back alley. Right. Right. Yeah. Who was that? Who mentioned that? Oh. That, and that was the only witness statement of 
anyone saying there were two individuals. I think that, that was Brown? Mr. Brown, yeah, who lived at the end of that alley. Right. So if you walked around the gas station towards the alley and turned right towards East Holm, Brown's house was kind of at the teed intersection of the alley in East Holm. So he had a straight view straight down. And mm-hmm. he's the one that said, I think it was him that said, he saw two guys in the alley, and then he saw that tan or brown car leave the scene yeah. right. that, that night, too. But, and not to jump ahead, but you know, that could kind of explain the Jeffs. You know, if, if for right. some reason they're the suspect, or there could be the individuals, that could explain the Jeffs. There's the two of them. And that's kind of where I came up with the height thing with the curb, mm-hmm. because they, they made it clear that Jeff Miller was 5'6", right? Is that right, yeah, yeah. So Jeff Miller is 5'6", so that could explain like how you could see him being taller if he's the one exiting, you know, being on that curb sure. could push him closer to six foot. Yeah, it could be a, a lot of things. It could have been that maybe it was the guy Gutierrez saw mm-hmm. did leave after Gutierrez, and then this Jeff Miller guy comes in, and he just happens to be dressed similarly. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we said it before. It's like, what are the odds that somebody comes out wearing the same type of coat and everything? Mm-hmm. But then it's 1991 in that part of town or that part of the country, you know, guys wearing Converse shoes and stonewashed jeans and leather yeah. jackets was not uncommon at all. Longer hair, a ball cap. So it, it's it's certainly possible because I'll be honest with you, that tip about the one with Maurice Johnson is harder to wrap my brain around. How it, Because Martinez saw the guy leaving right that moment. We know somebody came out right at that time. Yeah. Unless, unless Martinez completely made that up and just happened to get the clothing exactly the same as Gutierrez. I can't imagine that he wouldn't have noticed that the guy was African-American and not a white guy running out. That makes it, it hard to wrap my brain around that one. But I'll tell you what, the, the tips about the, the, the Jeffs, that's, there's a lot of corroborating evidence there. I mean, for starters, you've got Jeff Durbin saying he was involved with someone else. Yeah. So you, you, have, you have this statement over here where he tells someone, I was involved. In the murder, I think they said that night, I was, I was with another guy, and the guy who he was telling this to didn't know who the other guy was. Then they interview Jeff Miller's wife, and she says, he told me that he killed that kid at the Clark Station and that Jeff Durbin was his getaway driver. Mm-hmm. And, and then you consider the fact that Jeff Durbin supposedly told someone else almost the exact same story. The exact same story from the other perspective, that he yeah. was with someone else and there was somebody else there. And then you, you couple that with Mr. Brown's statement about two guys in the alley and a car parked around the corner. Mm-hmm. It's, that all, all of a sudden, that all starts to really come together. I, I cannot figure out how the police did not follow up on that, how they let that go. Yeah. And even the Maurice Johnson thing, that sounds pretty... pretty the, the fact that that statement came through, supposedly, from the witness on the night of the murder, on Easter Sunday, on that night... Uh, that the the girl says her boyfriend or whoever told her that Maurice Johnson just told her he just killed a guy at the Clark station. Yeah. And it just draws it. There's so many things that, that make it confusing because a black guy certainly doesn't fit the description given by the witnesses. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's, there's, there's still so much more to go there. Well, and that's the hard part right now is everything is just speculation. Right. Well, and th- that's, that's the whole case. And that's why we took it. Because we're hoping to provide some some actual evidence and some new leads and, and maybe get some evidence tested to get some real answers. Because the entire case was speculation from Easter Sunday, 1991 until 1999 when Jamie Snow was convicted. 
If you're waiting for the big bombshell about how they convicted Jamie Snow, it's not there. You're going to be, as we work through in the next several weeks, how he was convicted, you're just, you're going to find yourself just dumbstruck. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that's the case. And, and basically, the, and you'll hear the, the prosecutors just overwhelm overwhelmed the jury with what appeared to be evidence, but wasn't really. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Brian's got some questions. He says, I looked at the composite match with Isaac Gaston, and it's uncanny how close it is to the suspect. It seemed to me that the two Jeffs didn't seem involved with Bill's killing, because the previous robberies stated he wore a mask and used a BB gun. So it would appear if he robbed Bill that night, why use a twenty two revolver and no mask? I would think if Maurice was the shooter, then both Gutierrez and Martinez would have said it was a black suspect. What do you think? Well, for starters, I want to make clear, the other robberies that, that Jeff Miller was involved in weren't previous to Bill Little's murder. They were after Bill Little's murder. They happened months later into the that like August, September, October, later that year. The fact that the BB gun throws me, but I, I don't know that it specifically said that's what he used. It's that his wife said that she knows that's what he he had. That's all she's ever seen. Yeah, and that could be speculation too, because maybe she doesn't know what it is. Right. Maybe you know she knows it's small. Right. You know, a, a twenty-two is a small projectile. Not she much knows bigger it's than small, a BB gun. That she just says it's a BB gun because she doesn't know any different. There was so. also more reports in there. I think I included them when I posted them on the website, but I didn't cover them in the episode where the Jeffs had actually robbed someone's house or robbed another business, but they had stole guns. Oh, really? Stole several guns. Was one of them a twenty-two? Well, she didn't know. She said that she was like telling the police about this, and she had said that I, I only remember seeing rifles, but I don't know. But as far as the mask goes. That, to me, is not surprising at all. You know, career criminals will evolve. They'll learn, and we've said this season mm-hmm. after season, they'll learn from their mistakes. So if this guy went in and, and murdered Bill, and then, then there's, there's eyewitnesses and there's composites, maybe he looks like the Because you notice the, uh, the report doesn't say he doesn't look like the composite. It just said he was too small. Mm-hmm. So maybe he does look like it, and maybe he's like, oh, like, they got my face. Right. On, on TV, on the, in the newspaper. So he learns his lesson. He starts wearing a mask after that. You know, so, th- so that's a possibility why they would do that. As far as Maurice, that's kind of what we talked about before. As far as uh, Martinez and Gutierrez, why wouldn't they say it was a black guy? It's pretty, that's a pretty distinct characteristic yeah. if it's a white guy or a black guy. I don't know, but there was the other witness. Might have been Wiley Holt. One of them, I'm trying to remember, that said they did see when he was in and out, he saw a black guy in a brown or a tan car parked outside. 
So it's it's possible there's some connection there, but he was the one where he said it was 8.15. We found out later it was actually before the all the critical events occurred. But so that you know, they, there, there's that possibility too that there was an African American, a couple of them, I believe, that were seen at the gas station around that time in a tan or a brown car, which is also relative to what Mr. Brown said. All right, next, Brian says, did Bill Jesse get offered any kind of deal for his statement, or did him and Jamie Snow have any connection to each other in the past that might make him come up with his story? His interview seemed sketchy to me because when asked for other names who could corroborate his story, he was hesitant to give any. So uh, there's a few things there. I don't know exactly the connection between Jamie and Bill yet. So we're recording this Wednesday. I recorded an interview with Jamie yesterday, Tuesday, and we got cut off. We had enough, didn't have enough time. And the next question I was going to ask him was exactly that. He's calling back tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, and so that will be included in this week's episode because that's what I want to get into with him next is did he know Bill Jesse? How did he know Bill Jesse? You know, and I, I really want to hear more from him about what was going on, you know, as far as all these people kind of accusing him. Because when he says Bill Jesse's story, I honestly, I believe Bill Jesse mm-hmm. when I'm listening to it. But you got to listen to what he's actually saying. It kind of starts off, you get the feeling like he's like the snitch, like yeah, everybody knows Jamie did it. He said that he did. Then as they get dig deeper, the details come out. And what Jamie actually said, according to Bill Jesse, is they don't have shit on me. They'll never catch me. They'll never get me. They, they can't arrest me. I don't think, and I won't know until I ask Jamie, but I, I don't think that's unreasonable for him to say that if he's innocent. That's true. It, depending on the context. So if, if, if Zach, I'm asking you or, or accusing you of killing someone, and from my perspective, I think you did it, mm-hmm. and you're and you and you say they don't have shit on me. Yeah, to me, that's you saying like, "Ha, I'm going to get away with it." But from your perspective, yeah, it's saying that I I didn't do it. I don't have you don't have shit on me that I did it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's all about perspective, I think. So I think that Bill Jesse, to be honest, I I chose. There's several more. We're going to hear more. I mean, they they marched a parade of jailhouse informants into Jamie's trial. That's just one of them. And it was one that we had good, clean audio of that I wanted you to get a kind of a feel for what was going on because it is that game of telephone. Mm -hmm. It is that, yeah, I know he did it. Well, how do you know? Because he said, well, he said he did it. Well, he didn't really say he did it, Mm -hmm. but he kind of said that he did, they'll never catch him. But I'm sure other people, you know what I mean? It just, that's what a lot of them are like. Well, and it's hard too when he says, everybody at the bar heard him say it. Well, who's everybody? Right. Yeah, and then they try to ask him, and he's trying to come up with names. Yeah, uh, I believe a lot of those people will hear some from some of those people too as we as we move forward. Uh, but in general, I thought when I listened to Bill Jesse's interview that he's probably telling the truth from his perspective, meaning that, that Jamie probably did say they're never going to arrest me for this. They're never going to catch me, and maybe not never going to catch me, but they they don't have they don't have anything on me. They don't. They, there's there's no evidence against me. And knowing Jamie, not now, the Jamie now is a very different Jamie than he was when he was 25, but knowing how Jamie has described himself to me from when he was that young and 25, I can totally see him saying, F that punk. Mm -hmm. Because if, now this is if, if he had nothing to do with this, this kid gets killed, Bill Little gets killed, and somehow that starts to ruin his life. Everywhere he goes, they're like, you killed Bill, you killed Bill. And, And so really... Jamie's still a punk. He's not a kid, but 25, as I used to tell my college students when I taught, if you're under 25, you're wrong about mm-hmm. any argument we have. <laughs> um, <laughs> your frontal cortex hasn't developed enough, or whatever part of the brain it is. Um, you know, in his mind, just, just being, a, being a kind of a punk kid himself, 
Yeah. And like, F him. Yeah. And by the time, you know, by the time he and Bill Jesse crossed paths, maybe he had been badgered enough over right. a period of time where he's like, you know, in defensive mode and they were ruining his reputation and he had had enough of it. And it was, you know, to him, if he's innocent, it was, it wasn't deserved the harassment he might've been getting. Yeah. And there's, there's no evidence that Jamie and that I've seen so far anyway, that Jamie had any connection to Bill Little. Right. And, and so that this, this is a kid he doesn't know that was shot and he had nothing to do with it. And he's sick of getting badgered about it. And so he's, you know, screw him. He's just real spiteful over it. Mm -hmm. And and like I said, he, he described himself to me in that time of, of his life as just kind of a punk. All right, and Brian also wanted to know if Bill Jesse got a deal. Uh, I don't know right now. There is, so I, I, I've waited to get into the trial transcripts until we got through. I, I didn't want to get biased by anything defense or prosecution spin. I know from what's been told to me that I said I don't want to see yet. I know, because it, for, the reason for this is I want to be able to analyze an interview like Bill Jesse on my own and, and hear it and see what do I think he's being truthful? Are there corroborating statements? Are there signs of deception there? Before I see what happened after that, I know that a lot of the informants that testified against Jamie have since re- retracted their statements. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them have actually written affidavits retracting their statements. I don't know if Bill Jesse's one of them because I haven't gone there yet. But, uh, and I also don't know who got deals and who didn't, but I know that some did. This next one's from Lauren. What led Bill Jesse to talk to the police? Was he a suspect? Was he already in jail? Do we know if Bill Jesse had a reason to lie to the police? Bill Jesse was not a suspect that I'm aware of. He was in jail during that interview. It seems to me that what happened was when the investigators were trying to build a case against Jamie and they were not being successful, they went to basically every inmate or cellmate that he served time with because he had spent some time. We're going to get into Sunday. He's, he'd been in jail a couple times and started asking everyone. And it's a common practice. We've seen all the, a lot of these wrongful convictions. It's one of the reasons I took the case because jailhouse informants tend to be attached to wrongful convictions because that's what they do. They come in, they've got a bunch of guys in jail that are serving whatever sentence. And they, and as soon as they are trying to build a case against someone, they take everybody that was to serve time with them in any ways, or did, did, did he ever make any incriminating statements? And they start singing like birds if they think that they're going to get a deal. If you help us out, we can probably help you out with your sentence. Oh, I just remembered. Yep. He told me he killed that kid. You know, it's, it's not uncommon. So I think that's how they ended up with Bill Jesse. But also, this, as I've mentioned several times, this whole case was a string of rumors. So you heard in his interview, right? So he, like you said, Zach, they're like, well, who else heard him? Can't think of the names, and there was everybody heard him. And there was, and he starts naming some people that would probably know. So who knows where he was at in that web? Mm -hmm. Someone could have said this person told me that they heard Jamie say this. So they go talk to that person, and it turns into the same thing as Bill Jesse. Yeah, well, it wasn't actually me that heard it, but I heard other people tell me that they heard him say this, and they go to the next person and the next person, and it is built built out over time leading up to the trial. And also keep in mind. Almost all of these interviews occurred after they arrested Jamie. So once they already had him picked out, he was going to be the one going to trial for this murder. That's when they're literally building a case against him after they already arrested him. And that only reinforces the hearsay. 
But yeah, we've seen that in so many other cases. It's called confirmation bias. You know, the Anand Syed case was a perfect example. A lot of the students in in his school thought he did it. And when you really get to talking to him, because I spoke with a lot of them personally, what you find out is the only reason they thought he did it is because the police said he did it. And they just assumed that he did it. And then that starts to snowball. And and ever so like when you have everybody in town saying this guy did it, and then the police arrest him, then everybody's like, he must have did it. Yeah, that's like the West Memphis 3 and, and Damien. Yep, I mean, the same, same thing. thing there. Yep. Caroline says, possible cause for those five aged bruises on Bill's arm. I think they are fingers and likely from altercation. Sounds like maybe 48 to 72 hours old. Who hurt him? It's a great question. And I'm hoping we can get to the answer on that. You know, there's, there's still a lot more research and uh, digging we're doing right now. Myself personally, um, uh, Ray Wilson, who I've mentioned a couple times, who is a former police chief, and he's an investigator out east that's been working on the case. I know as we're going through these episodes and bringing up new things, Ray's firing off open records requests and FOIA requests for more documents. And we're starting to get some more stuff in and, and paint a bigger, a little better picture. And also as we're digging through the police files, because it's the original teams that have gone through these files were looking for evidence to exonerate Jamie because that's their job. They're on the defense. Now we're shifting that focus into trying to figure out who actually did this and things that may not have seemed significant before now do seem significant. I mean, without seeing the autopsy photos, because they said there's five bruises on his arm, sounds like fingers, right? But that, mm-hmm. but what if each bruise is two inches wide? You know, it could have been golf balls hitting him. Who knows? So we'll have to see. But it feels to me there had to have been an altercation. There had to have been something. I, I do believe amongst all these different thoughts and theories we have so far, one thing that I think I am very confident in, Jim Clementi is very confident in, is the fact that this was a personal cause. And it's not the 10 minutes before the money's stolen that makes me think that. There's a whole lot of reasons for somebody to hang around for 10 minutes before they steal the money. What makes me believe that is the five minutes after. The fact that at 8.15, the register's open, the money's out, and that person is still in there for another five minutes before killing Bill. That's what tells me this was a personal cause. So something we're missing something. We're missing something in Bill's victimology that no one has told us about yet, or we haven't found yet, that led to a person coming into that station with a grudge against him and pulling the trigger and killing him. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I came from a low-income family that was, that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GCE became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Liz says, is there anything you think could be promising about alternate suspects that has been heavily redacted? It's so hard to say because, and maybe I haven't stressed this enough, but when I say heavily redacted, Mike's seen it. Mike's seen me scrolling through these PDF files, and you'll hit 
12, 15 pages in a row that are all black, like not a name or an address, all black. So literally have no clue what was on that page or what the leads were. I cannot think of a reason why they would want to redact entire pages like that unless they're, and it's speculative, but it, it makes me wonder, are they trying to protect their case? You know, I wonder if it's, if it's either misconduct like that, or if it's just sheer laziness that they're like, yeah, there's something here, you know? Right. Hmm, but be. it's selective. I mean, there's, there's thousands of pages and most of them are redacted properly in the sense that they're deleting, they're, they're redacting like names and addresses. They're mm-hmm. over redacting even in those. Like they're redacting uh, the name, of, which I guess that's not over redaction because Illinois does have a weird law that you, anybody that gives the police information is privileged. So they redact the names out of the people who gave the tips, but then they're redacting the name of the people they're giving the tips about, and that's not redactable. Okay. But at least it's just names and stuff. But so like when you see like 10 pages like that, and then the next page is completely blacked out, the next one, there's a, there's a few pages, and then there's four pages where they're completely blacked out. I think there was a lot of CIs involved, colonel informants, either they were trying to protect or they were trying to protect the information from getting out to the public. But more to the point about there being any credible information, if I didn't stress this point enough, let me stress it now. The only reason the Jeffs and Maurice were ruled out, even why Isaac Gaston was ruled out, was because they didn't perfectly match the description of Gutierrez and Martinez. Jump to seven years later, and they arrest Jamie Snow, who doesn't match the description at all. And I can't figure out if, if, if you get a credible lead, like I said, I, to me, the Jeffs is the strongest lead. If you get a credible lead like that, and the only reason they're ruled out is because they don't look like the composite. They don't, they don't fit the description exactly. And then at some point in the investigation, you decide they had to have decided, well, maybe the composites are bad. Maybe there were bad descriptions. Why didn't they go? I, I, I'm, I guess I, I'm asking rhetorically, but why didn't they go back to those leads? Mm-hmm. That guy was in prison. Jeff, Jeff Miller was in prison. They, they could go talk to him there. And maybe they did. Maybe that's part of what's redacted. But those are solid leads. If you throw out the, the physical descriptions, then those leads become that much more powerful. But for some reason, and that's the reason I want to find out, why did they choose to throw it out and go with Jamie Snow as opposed to throwing it out and going back to those other credible leads? Well, and my question, too, is, is if you have that composite drawing and you have a person that their own child is calling them out on the composite drawing. Right. Why are you not following that up more? She says, why is my daddy on TV or in the newspaper? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and that one, again, they, they, he does. And if you haven't been to the website, go look. The picture is bananas, mm-hmm. how much it looks like him, other than no scar. There's no, there's no scar on his chin. And like, that was enough to say, throw, you know, maybe it was a fresh cut and it had healed by then. There's so many, I, I don't, it's frustrating. We're going to dig deeper into it, but it's, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, I'd like to find out if if Jamie Snow really pissed off some police <laughs> or 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 if, you know, if mm-hmm. he was really if he was involved in something unrelated maybe maybe even something that he did do that he didn't get in trouble for and some and maybe maybe some police officer had a vendetta against him or something. I know that's a little into the weeds, but I I don't think it is at all and I think that's what we want to get into this week because you know, last week you heard Jamie say I made it easy on him. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully yeah. we're going to find out when I talk to him tomorrow how exactly he made it easy on him. Well, and it almost seems like, too, the, the first detective, Jamie Snow said the first detective didn't have anything to do with him. 
you know, didn't, right. didn't think he was a suspect. So maybe there is something with that when that new detective comes in. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is some prior something there that kind of led that detective going, this is the guy. Right. And it, and it also could be that by the time two th- or 1998 rolls around, that those rumors had spread so rampantly through town that this guy picks up this cold case and everybody he talks to is like, oh, yeah, Jamie Snow did that. I know Jamie Snow did that because that 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 game of telephone that rumor had spread through so much through town it's like oh well we can close this one everybody says it was him it must be this guy Mm -hmm. elizabeth says i don't see anywhere in the reports where mrs martinez was interviewed next door martinez said they had just got home and he went to air the tire and get beverages did i miss a statement on what she heard and saw next door also his story is nonsensical to me i i don't see that they ever interviewed her but when you just said that it I forgot about that part in the report. If that's accurate, and I think it is, that he said that he was going to go get drinks too. It makes you think that Martinez knew more about what was going on than he said he did. Because why didn't he go into the store to get his drinks? Mm -hmm. He left. I mean, he was getting back in his car and leaving when Pilo got there. He's the back and forth, back and forth, gets in his car and he's driving away. Why did he leave? He's saying that I just saw a guy, I heard, thought my car backfired and saw a guy walk out. And so I let, well, if that's all it was, why didn't he go inside and get his drinks or his candy bar or whatever he was going in there for? The fact that he got in his car and leaves, I think, lends more towards, you know, Jim Clementi and I, our discussion about he's trying to make him sound tougher than he is. I think he, he did think maybe those were gunshots. And he saw the guy and thought, oh, crap, I'm getting out of here. But he didn't tell police that. Because he didn't want to sound seem like the guy that ran away instead of going. I I don't know, but it's it's interesting that if he went there for the purpose to go inside the gas station and purchase something, claims he thought there were some backfires and saw a guy walk out. Then why didn't he go in? Yeah, even if he thought the guy was being strange, you watch the guy leave. So why would you still not continue in? Right, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it does definitely lend towards him having seen more than he told the police. Uh, but also just to clarify, not that he was necessarily involved with anything. Right. Yeah. I mean, he he, he probably wasn't. I mean, who knows who was involved at this point? I don't think Martinez was involved, but it does seem like he had more knowledge of what happened than he let on, whether that's just that he interpreted things differently than he relayed them to the police or that he saw more than he actually saw. Whatever the case may be, something caused him to turn around and leave instead of going inside. All right, we've got a few from Wendell here. First, not so much a question as a theory, but given that Isaac Gaston admitted to being a regular at the store, do you think it's possible that Gutierrez had seen him before in the store? And while creating the composite, Gutierrez unconsciously merged the face of Isaac Gaston with the man who he saw that night with Billy. This would mean that while Gutierrez's physical description could still be accurate, the composite itself may be compromised. What are your thoughts? That happens. I mean, the, I think Jim Clemente mentioned it when he was on the show, but it happened with the Unabomber, the notorious Unabomber uh, composite drawing that was in all the national news and magazines was a drawing of the sketch artist. Mm-hmm. The woman that was giving the description literally described the guy sitting in front of her. Didn't realize she was doing it, but it, it looks just like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that happens. There's so many different things that can affect your memory. And your and how you describe things, so it's definitely possible. But the other point I want to make sure I make clear: Isaac Gaston said that he was a regular at a different Clark station. So the the, the police officer that that issued that report 
ran into him at a different Clark station across town. And when he saw him, he thought, oh my God, this guy looks just like the composite, stopped and talked to him. And he said he was a regular at that gas station. Okay. Not the one Bill was killed at. Also, is Guess in the same man who was picked out of the photo lineup? No, he is not, but I don't think that he was included in that first photo lineup either. We don't have all that information, but uh, in the reports for whichever episode number that was, you can see the guy whose mugshot was picked out, and no, it's not Isaac Gaston. It's a different guy. Next, he wants to know, what is the physical description of the other Jeff? I don't know. I, I didn't see it. I mean, you, you guys heard me read all the reports we had. And they didn't give one. It's just not thorough enough for us to know. Has anyone looked into the guy who told his girlfriend about Maurice? Is he black too? Is it possible he was blaming Maurice to deflect attention from himself? It's possible, but I don't think so. I I don't know if he was also black. And that would make sense if he was talking to the police. Right. You know, but when he goes to his girlfriend... And she she described him as being freaked out. And this is like, Maurice just came... Basically what happened is or she says happened, is that night he comes into the house and, and or she goes into his bedroom or whatever. Maurice had just left, and he's like, holy shit. Maurice just told me that he just shot a kid at the Clark Station, the one on Linden and Empire, and he was kind of freaked out by it. It's not like it was a pol- the police interviewing him as a suspect, and he's like, no, actually, I heard that. You know, He went out of his way to tell that story when he could have just not said anything at all. So I, 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 don't, I don't read that as him trying to deflect. I think one thing that would need to be looked at, too, is if there's any other crimes committed that evening. And I don't mean necessarily like before or after, just to see like if maybe Maurice did shoot somebody mm-hmm. and he heard the story and then he tells it to somebody, you know, that he says it's that kid, but it's really not. Or, you know what I mean? If there's, well, I know if there's, there was no other murders that night. Okay. So I'm sure there were other crimes that yeah. night, but not someone getting shot. Elizabeth says, did the police recover any Marlboro cigarette butts inside the station? One witness saw the shooter smoking in the station. No witnesses report seeing him with a cigarette when he left or tossing it out the door. He probably would have finished it before he left if the timeline is correct. There's nothing in the trial test, because I did read the trial testimonies of the crime scene investigators and read their reports, and there's nothing mentioned about cigarettes. However, we haven't done a forensics episode yet where we go through all the stuff they cataloged, so I, I don't have the absolute answer to that yet. It doesn't seem like that was a priority for them at the time. Uh, certainly in 1991, they weren't looking for cigarette butts for DNA Mm -hmm. like they would later. Just a few years later, uh, they started doing that. But no, I I, I don't know. When we get into the forensics episode and we go through all of the evidence log, I'll be able to answer that. And our last question comes from Tyler, and it wraps into the forensics. Have you seen any physical evidence, like the shoe prints that pointed to Jamie? Seems like the cops just took the word of another felon. Yeah, it wasn't just one other felon. It was lots of other felons. And as far as physical evidence, no. And even the shoe print, if I'm reading the reports right, sorting through the redaction, the shoe print, they were actually able to identify a type of shoe or come close to a type of shoe uh, was from another armed robbery. And Jamie had the same brand of shoe that was found in a different armed robbery. And then they were, but they said there was no match. They couldn't make a match, but it was the same brand or looked like it could have been the same brand. And then they were trying to compare that to the lifts, the static lift from the Clark station where Bill was killed. And I don't think there was anything there to connect them. So I, no, so far, as far as I know, there was zero actual physical evidence in this case that could be used for anything. And that's all we got this week, Bob. 
All right. Well, thanks, guys, for tuning in. Make sure you tune in on Sunday when we're going to introduce Jamie Snow in a very big way. You're going to learn a little bit about him, how he was convicted, and you're going to hear from the attorney that's representing him now through the Exoneration Project in Chicago, Illinois. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our Friday Follow-Up logo was created by Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I want to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review, and lastly, you can always support the show by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website. Just click on the Case Submissions button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at truthjusticepod, and my personal Twitter handle is at bobruftruth. And you can also connect with Mike at mbussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Zach's knuckle popping out of the middle. Of the Sorry. Clock. Good luck with that. <laughs> I'll take it. Rookie. Sorry. <laughs> I do it without even thinking about it. Uh, uh, hang on. Know. I don't know what to do. Mike, you can go. We're just going to have to. We're just going to. Our, our payroll's here. Just one second. One second. And what e-cigs have done to people up to this point, as well as the contents of those e-cigarettes. Right. So it's like. You know what's killing me? Bacon. Yeah, right. Bacon's killing cholesterol. me. Cholesterol. Yeah, the bacon will get you. I like bacon. I like bacon on everything. Mm-hmm. Me too. <clears throat> anyway, Mike, go ahead.